Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. I feel like you're squirming. <laughs> I'm squirming a bit. I'm squirming a bit, but uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks. just thanks. I should just say thanks. <laughs> I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. In this episode, we're talking to the actor Catherine Walsh. I have another sister older. I have a twin brother, actually. And then there's another sister after me, Bernadette. And then there's an eight-year gap between Eileen and I. And her sister, also an actor, Eileen Walsh. My father called me Smalley all my life. And it made me feel very minded and reminded me of being the youngest all the time. But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. She's very easygoing <laughs> and uh, less in her head than I am, I think. So like, I'd be, I'd be very interested to hear what she has to say. She's the first person in our family to step outside and do something creative. Like, that's incredible. And that takes a lot more bravery than she probably felt she had herself. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Catherine and Eileen are two of six and grew up in Cork before making the move to Dublin to pursue careers on stage and screen. They gain great comfort from working in the same industry and have even performed together, something which revealed very different approaches in the rehearsal room. We talk about that, about growing up in Ireland and their dad's attitude to theatre and housework. But Catherine started by remembering life in the family home. Well, we grew up in my mother's original home on Quaker Road. It's in the middle of the city in Cork, let's say. My mother's father lived in the house. It was a very busy house and very friendly. And uh, as my mother calls it, it was kind of halfway up and halfway down the road. So <laughs> it's where everybody knocked if they were lost. I remember when I was very young, there was um, a gas meter that you put 50 peas into. I remember people never taking the stairs the right way. You would just try and climb down over banisters or try and take <laughs> four steps at a time. Uh, there was always somebody else's family were always in our house all the time. <laughs> so yeah, I just remember it being pretty hectic. You saying that now, Eileen, has brought it to mind for me. And I also thought of me taking the stairs four at a time and dislocating my shoulder. So you're right about that. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you actually oh. dislocated your shoulder on the stairs. I did. I, I, I swung down them four. Like I took four where I should have just taken one coming down. And I did a big swing around and I left my arm behind me, literally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had, to, I, I had to go up to the hospital and I had my arm above my head. to uh, Trying to get into to, the back of the car. 
trying to get into the back of the car. <laughs> Eileen, I, I, you brought that back to mind, Eileen. Yeah, oh yeah. But now my grandfather came from a farming background and when he got older, he got two or three sheep into the back of the, of the garden. <laughs> and people really? went in out feeding lambs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was kind of great crack to be had, I have to say. Yeah. Eileen, you were the source of it a lot of the time from what I could remember. I think I got away with a lot of stuff. Not that I was cheeky or chancing my arm or even smoking or drinking too young, but I felt like I kind of slipped under the radar quite a lot because there was other more grown up kids going through more stuff to, to probably focus on. There's an eight year gap between Eileen and I. So she is the youngest. If there's an eight year gap, how long did you kind of cross over for in the family home? It's really interesting because I've been I, I've been really in a, in a kind of swirl thinking what, what, why isn't she in those memories and I was like what the hell um, and I suddenly realised gosh when I was sixteen she was eight you know when I was fourteen she was six and you realise we've really drawn together and I don't see it as much of course anymore with any of um, my siblings but what kept coming to mind is we're all piled into a car and she's standing in the middle of the seats between my mother and father at the front singing. That's no problem to me. I can remember that. And uh, and she was very funny and very entertaining. And then I began to think, hang on, so was I. I was when I was about eight or nine. I've been doing my Frank Spencer uh, imitations. But I, I was freaking myself out looking through my memory file of myself trying to find her. Yeah, I think it's funny, isn't it? Because you have these very distinct life stages as children. You know, primary school, infant school, moving up to big school is like the big deal. And yes. of course, you inhabit different worlds when you're in those different stages it's so apart from each other's experience if you're at infant school and you're at senior school forget it I mean that's, what are you going to talk about that's it it's amazing and actually you know as I was going into secondary school as we say here Eileen was going into primary and when I left secondary she came into secondary so you know we never shared the same uniform wow. we never we never <laughs> that was never familiar and as being the baby a role that you enjoy inhabiting or do you not particularly feel like a classic baby? Um, no, I would be a classic baby. <laughs> I think uh, my father called me Smalley all my life. It made me feel very minded and reminded me of being the youngest all the time. Um, and I think by the time my parents got to six, they were much more relaxed and and equally not, I suppose, at the same time, because they didn't have a penny. The pressure was on to try and keep everyone fed. And I think with it being Ireland, 70s and 80s and having four girls, I think my parents were constantly terrified of anybody coming back with devastating news of being pregnant or, you know, outside of marriage, all the kind of stuff about the church. and so. They relaxed when it came to, they knew that they could do a good job. But I think then they also kind of held on firmly as well at the same time. You felt that, did you? Oh, God, yeah, very much. I think you're aware of being a good girl and what a bold girl is, is very much filled with shame. But then my parents were so heavily, you know, brought up by you know even more fervent religious parents <laughs> so you know they're just kind of trying their best to 
to get through. But yeah, I think, you know, we, we slept in a bedroom that had a, I don't know, a six foot high Virgin Mary over the bed. So you oh were very much aware, <laughs> you know, of what was expected. I was going to say my question about how amazing your awareness was seems a bit stupid now. <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah, it was all consuming awareness. <laughs> you did mention, Eileen, when I was talking to you about, you know, your parents kind of watching the pennies and stuff. Did you both have a yeah. sense that that was going on and that they were trying to sort of make money stretch? Like Rita was, our mum, Rita was brilliant at making money last. You know, you'd still have chips. It's great. She would do lots of chips, but she'd be in the kitchen fucking peeling potatoes for ages to make sure that there was enough chips for everybody and a deep fat fryer that would nearly take the hand off you, you know. But but I, I do remember going to school. My mother will kill me. Uh, I do remember going to school with the front of my shoes cut off so that you'd get you'd just get to the summer before you'd have to get your new pair of shoes. I mean, you know, so you're reasonably kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but it's every like there would have been other kids in the class that did the same so it's not like you were bullied for it or anybody made fun of you for it or it was just the way it was and of course you know we've only got three weeks to go before the end of the summer so just do that and then we'll get your sandals <laughs> <laughs> I suppose what I remember is my father literally handing over a wage packet the brown envelope you know with his um cold dust hands handing it to my mother and in that that was extraordinary in his behalf and he never saw it after that so when she was little she was like the entertainer and the clown and when you were little that was your role too was it that sort of family where people were encouraged to kind of um try and grab a bit of the the spotlight the spotlight um <laughs> i don't know but i find it interesting even to think that she never saw me do any of my school plays because i asked her i was asking her last night listen did you say because it's very funny actually my father passed away about five years ago and one of the best things I've ever done was when I was 13 he still spoke about it no matter what I was doing anywhere what was it luckily I went to an all-girls school and our drama teacher did all these farces with us so all the girls get to play all the really good male parts Uh, so it was a farce where I played four brothers um, and I never topped it. <laughs> it's still, <laughs> I never topped it. But I, I was thinking, did she ever see that? And she didn't. When I left at 18, I was really upset. I was bawling, crying. And this drama teacher said to me, Catherine, it's not the end, it's the beginning. And I said, you don't understand. Somebody's coming in that's much better than me. Which was Eileen. <laughs> and do you really think, do you think that's still? Or did you just think that at the time? I think it's very interesting language that I chose. And it kind of still stays with me. <laughs> really yeah yeah it does uh yeah I still feel like because again because of this podcast as I've been thinking about it I thought god I I think I kind of remember watching her and I'm still watching her do you think she knows that um probably not she's very easygoing (laughs) and uh less in her head than I am I think so that might, I'd, like, I'd, be, I'd be very interested to hear what she has to say. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. I remember going in and feeling like the path was paved for me almost, you know, because Catherine had this um, amazing history with the drama department, I guess, there, because of the performances, the plays each, at the end of each year. So mm. there was a lovely thing thinking, oh, my God, I could have that too. 
Catherine also said that her finest moment on stage was in a play when she was 13 and you never even saw it and she's a bit sad about that still. Oh, I, I've seen the pictures of that and the joy in her face and the pride my parents had in her, I think is hard to live up to. But for me, I remember seeing a picture of her in The Crucible she played Mary Proctor and this picture that I was too young to see it but the black and white picture was the most incredible I remember seeing I could you just see so much drama in her face in this stance and I remember thinking wow like that picture is drama that's <laughs> drawing you in and then years later she did a Eugene O'Brien play called Eden that's the one I'm lucky to have seen that's the one where she took off. Sounds like you really look up to her professionally as well as her being your big sister. Yeah, yeah, I think I do. I think I tend to fly by the seat of my pants more. Um, and she, she's like Frances McDormand. <laughs> you know, she's kind of scary and uh, kind of intense and does a lot of background work. I love talking with her because she'll have done background work nearly for me as well you know so we kind of end up talking and she gives me ideas and it's it's great having somebody like that that knows the business inside out if you go for an audition and you don't get it you know my mother or my sister might say to me ah well what's for you won't go by you oh on to the next thing but Eileen will always think that's dreadful (laughs) for something that means so much to me it's great to have somebody who also knows that who knows how valuable that is And I think as the years have gone by, that's kind of what's bonded us. Nearly more your disappointments than your celebrations, as much, let's say, your disappointments as your celebrations. Well, I think in the disappointments, or if you want to call them failures, you can, if you're on your own and lacking resilience, we all lack resilience sometimes, start to think that your failures sort of define you. And actually having a sister who's an actor who can see that you're exactly the same Catherine before and exactly the same Catherine afterwards is just enormously buoying, I think. Yes, that's true, actually. That's true. But yeah, I think she's wonderful. And I I think when I see her work with people that open something up in her, that's amazing because I know the work that it takes to do that from both of them, for her to allow mm. herself, but for her also to feel like that work is appreciated. All that background stuff is appreciated by the director or whoever and together they come out of it, you know. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
So if she's easygoing, what else is she like? What's her personality? She's light and bubbly and uh, a great people person. You know, she's a lovely person to have at parties or uh, go to a play with because even though we know the same people, she's a bit of a magnet. It's not envy, but there's a sort of wistful wantingness in your voice about that. Is that how you'd like to be more? Well, I can hear it in myself that it's admiring of her when I say it or it's something I can observe when I'm with her. We haven't been in rehearsal rooms an awful lot together, considering we're uh, two Irish actors, but we, we haven't crossed over that much. But I know that when I go see her in a play or afterwards, I can tell they're all getting great crack out of her. They're getting great laughs out of her. <laughs> and I think I'm a bit of a heavy head in a rehearsal room, I think, compared to her, you know? You know, we did a play together and that was really terrifying and interesting watching how each other worked in the same room. We did a play called The Same. Uh, Ender Walsh wrote it and it was the same person, 10 years apart, just two of us. That was brilliant because you had a four week rehearsal and you got to perform it, but it was just each other. We just had each other. The play was called The Same and we both played the same woman who was having a breakdown and she meets her younger self. And it's how one can tries to help the other get through it. Um, again, though, what highlighted was how different we are. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God, the characters were more the same than we are. Uh, <laughs> so that took, it took a bit of acting. So, but that was surprising. You know, again, you could just you're seen in relief all the time because you know the person so well. You're feeling and seeing yourself in relief. So it was very intense. But then there's something you get for free with it being the two of us, you know, because we are siblings. There's a huge understanding, but then you just don't want to step on each other's toes either. It's it's complicated, little tricky jigsaw. She would describe herself as a bit in her head and she really admires in you, she says, your sort of natural warmth and the way that people come to you and are drawn to you and you're easy and breezy and chatty and not that she's particularly jealous she just finds it incredibly admirable do you recognize oh. those two descriptions yeah I do I do I think that's from being the baby you know <laughs> and I think I was a, a funny kid I'm used to people smiling and and enjoying being around you I had a friend once who sent her kid into nursery and she said, it's really interesting. You see the kids that know they're loved and those kids walk in and go, hi, we're going to be friends. I'm great kind of thing. Whereas the kids who have a tougher time end up pulling back and kind of going, you might not like me. And I think I certainly feel like I can walk into a room and and I'll definitely connect with one person. I might not make friends with everybody, but I'll definitely connect. Uh, and Catherine can be very much in her head, double guessing. Um, mm. But then that's what makes her so lovely because she's so uh, afraid of stepping on your coattails or um, offending you or and you're like, you, you haven't offended anybody. You just got to go with this now. Yeah, so all that makes her heart twice as big as mine. And I guess what might make her so skilled at those character parts too. That yeah. She's empathising to the nth degree. 
Yeah, totally. She goes into a lot more um, uh, corners and edges about the whole thing, I think. Her scripts are ones that are written on and like lots of arrows coming in here and this and whatever. <laughs> and then my script is like, you know, just highlighted. <laughs> just learn the lines. That's grand. <laughs> it's very different. Now, she herself growing up would have her own things that went on for her, you know, because um, as you were talking about music in your email, I was thinking about at, again at 20, I brought her to Michael Jackson, came to Cork and she was 12 oh, wow. at the time. Yeah. So we, <laughs> I brought her to the concert, but she went on to love R.E.M. and Tanita Tickerham and like I was Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson. Her choice in music is actually quite serious at times. So I might say that she's bubbly, but that's not the complete person, you know, or that's maybe not how she perceives herself. So R.E.M. were huge for me, but then I went through a big kind of writing poetry and loving my essays and painting, all very dark and splattered and Jackson Pollocky. And I called one a twist in my sobriety. I don't think I understood what it actually meant, but I thought it sounded great. I thought Tanisha would be delighted. <laughs> she might be listening. You never know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think even though you were the bubbly baby, there were kind of um, deeper, darker bits to you as a, a teenage Eileen. There, there definitely was because I felt even within a big family, I had very few friends. I adored our brother and then he went off the rails a wee bit and that threw me into a spiral, I think, of writing mainly and lots of tears. I was really worried for him because I felt like he was out of control. Now, to be fair, he was probably only doing what most other teenage boys would have been doing, you know what I mean? Staying out late and having mm -hmm. cheeky beers. But I remember thinking, oh no, that's not what we do in this house now and it's all going wrong. But I did feel dark. It felt like, um, I don't know, I think I allowed myself feel that darkness too, actually, which is probably then what kind of encouraged the whole poetry side and the love of drama and the, my Saturday morning workshops inevitably had me playing somebody with AIDS or cancer. I'd never go with the lighter option. It was all really heavy. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting though, isn't it? I mean, you, in a community, in a country, in a house where purity and not being bold and behaving well is kind of internalised, it's not difficult to see where that kind of reaction might have sprung from. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I guess the the freedom allowed, you know, when you do certain exercises, drama wise or whatever, like that, you can really let yourself go and feel like it's a safe place to do that and then return to your being good outside of it, you know. Mm. And what did your dad and mum do? My mother worked as a machinist before she was mm. married, but then she had to give that up when she had children. And and I, I think she probably would have loved to have continued it. It's incredible to think that really, isn't it? Just one generation ago, the choices that weren't available. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. It's And it's only when you're older, I think, or if you have been able to follow a passion that you think, oh, that was quite an unfair uh, law they had then, you know. But in another way, it was always great to know that when you turned the key in the door, she was always there. So, mm. and was she a good mum? Did she inhabit that role entirely? Yes, I would say I would say yes. Yeah, you know, and there was a lot of kids 
you know, at some stage they're under the age of 10, let's say. So, um, and again, there was twins and her father was in the house too. So that was no joke, but it never felt like that was an effort for her. My dad was a docker. He worked on the docks and he loaded and unloaded ships. You know, he'd come home. Sometimes we've great photographs there and his, his place is full of coal dust or he'd have boxes of bananas, you know. He was the youngest in his own family. And he got on very well with his mother, but he used to do a lot of work for her around the house. He knew the work that was expected of women, but that he never let Rita do that on her own. He was a kind of great hands-on father, and he was also a great man for sweeping up and doing the dishes and, (laughs) you know, sweeping (laughs) a cup from under you and it was in the sink before you knew it. You'd get up for school in the morning and he was already up ahead of you lighting the fire downstairs and getting the place nice and warm and having the kettle on and, you know, but his his heart was huge when it came to, he couldn't keep anything for himself. He'd have to share everything. And he didn't come from theatre or like, it was very funny because Eileen and I used to tell my mother and father, come up for our opening nights, you know, and then we'd, we'd find a hotel and put them up at the hotel and we thought we were doing great things. And, uh, one day after the play, one of us had a, had an opening night and the next morning we met, they had breakfast early, got on the train again. And my dean and I happened to be talking about the night before. And he said, oh, my God, can you stop talking about theatre? You know, I hate it. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. No, we didn't know. <laughs> Thanks for telling us. Yeah. <laughs> we were going to all this trouble thinking that was what they'd love. But sure, Jesus, he was only coming for our sakes, you know. Yeah. Uh, and like they're always very tough plays. And can you do more? He wanted us to do more comedies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But of course, he wouldn't have hated the theatre if you were in it. And, and Eileen talked really beautifully about the pride that they had in that production you did when you were 13. Oh, stop it. Um, Catherine yeah, at the yeah. school. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, the pride that they had in you was immense. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. Uh, he also thought because we weren't down in, in the bowels of a ship, loading and unloading he thought it was money for all rope he used to say to us come here it is grand it's grand you got that job money for all rope because and he was right in a way we weren't loading and unloading bananas you know i know he loved knowing how much you got paid how much for that now (laughs) jesus that's money for all rope isn't it that's money for all rope (laughs) and you'd have to be on set like crying your head off morning noon and night and he'd be going that's great money So what did you do for fun in your house then? If your mum was adept at, um, Catherine said, appearing like all of this work that she did was pretty effortless and making the money stretch and just being, a, by all accounts, a really lovely mum, how did you celebrate birthdays and Christmases and what was the fun that could be had in the Walsh household for those mm-hmm. sorts of occasions? Rita was great at um, baking, 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 baking. Um, they'd have card games in the house. So, you know, all the uncles and aunts would be over which meant that their kids would come too. So there would be lovely moments in a year, one or two nights where there was staying up late and having everyone around and you might have to sing or do something, you know. And I do remember because there was, you know, five of us there, that there was always crack to be had, actually, as well as possibly Michael and Bernadette having a fight as well. But, you know. (laughs) But there was, was... though, there was that. And again, if a cousin came down, there was three or four of them the same age as us. You're playing hurling or football outside the door. And pretty quickly, there's two teams. That's no problem. And the other kids on the road as well. 
Do you have any songs that I know you had different taste in music, but perhaps there's songs you can remember being on the radio that you liked in the car or any kind of music that takes you back to your house that was halfway up and halfway down the street? That's right. Oh, my gosh. I do remember them probably playing Lionel Richie over and over and over again, that like subconsciously all the lines soaking into your head. I can't think of a sh- I can't think of a shared one. But I, I just know that as she grew up, you know, but her her taste in music was so cool um, that and then I don't remember us having a tape recorder in the car. So it would have just been the radio, whatever came on the radio. But also Nancy Griffith was huge. Late Night Grand Hotel. Uh, mm. That album, I feel like I know that album inside out. And that would have been very much from my older sisters, which I think then gave me a love of country music, too. So I might have loved my particular indie stuff, but actually I had a secret love of country. So you didn't think she was uncool then? I didn't think she was remotely uncool. So she was the one who was living up in Dublin, having a great life as far as I was concerned. She was doing what other people, you know, would love to be doing. And just so different. She's the first person in our family to step outside and do something creative. Like, that's incredible. And that takes a lot more bravery than she probably felt she had herself. Um, The thing that Eileen ended on, which I thought was really poignant, given what you've just said about your dad, is how brave you were, Catherine, to strike out, head off to Dublin and believe in this possibility of this paid work, money for old rope maybe, but in the creative arts. And how without that, that Eileen would not have had the the guts to do the same. And I wondered if you fully realised that, because you seem to spend quite a lot of the time talking about your admiration for her the other way around. Yeah, that's well, that's that's brilliant to hear, you know, because just on thinking back, you just wonder, like, it's. I think you would have Eileen would have done it anyway. The passion pushed me forward. And I think, I you know, Eileen has the passion in front of her too, pushing her forward. So but but that's nice to hear. That's it's lovely to hear. Do you not like being praised very much? I feel like you're squirming. <laughs> I'm squirming a bit. I'm squirming a bit, but uh, um, I don't know really. It's uh, thanks. Th- <laughs> thanks. <laughs> yeah, just thanks. I should just say thanks. No, it is lovely. It's, it is lovely. But I often think of myself too. Um, it was the year of my leaving cert that I got the National Youth Theatre, which was to come to Dublin for the first time, and um, mm. I remember hearing I got it. I can still remember passing the butcher shop and the skip to my heart um, mm. that that this had come through for me. To this day, when I pass that, what would have been the butcher's shop, I lean at the top of the road, it's set out in yeah. flats now. I can still remember the skip. And sometimes when I wonder, what am I doing or something hasn't worked out, I often think of the that the skip I had literally and the skip in my heart. So, yeah. Where do you think, you know, if you look forward, so you spent a lot of time, I've asked you to spend a lot of time looking back, but if you look forward and God willing, this particular sort of phase of life that we're living through will end and work will resume and life will resume what do you hope for each other professionally and what would you like to see the other person do Eileen? Because we have worked together I think it would be interesting to to do another project because we kind of know how each other works now so it would be interesting to do something else and Catherine is such a theatre animal I mean we both are but I think once this all gets back to normal again, I think it'll be amazing to feel like you're home 
you know, and I would also love for her to have the experience of working with an amazing film or TV thing, because sometimes that can feel more scary uh, until you meet the right person who opens that world up as well. But yeah, I think there's a great happiness in working. I agree with her in terms of the happiness that you just finished your line you finished on there, Eileen, is lovely. And I've been speaking, Eileen, that well, since I was 13, I feel like I've just been watching you. So I just want to continue to watch you and go higher. So, um, and in honour of my father, I would love to do a comedy and I'd love nothing better than a farce. And I'd love us both to be in it and both laughing our hearts <laughs> off at each other on stage and off stage. Yeah. <laughs> a bit like what you see Catherine O'Hara doing yeah. in, uh, in Shit's Creek. Shit's just Creek. Laughing. Yeah, that's it. Just <laughs> laughing at it. So that I'd love nothing better, actually, yeah. than a good old comedy. <laughs> Thank you to Eileen and Catherine. Thank you too to Tanita Tickerham for this amazing song. Sound designs by Nick Carter and digital production by Charlotte Griffiths and technical support from Loftus Media. Uh, what kind of school did you go to? You said it was Catholic and Catherine said it was all girls. What was that like? They would mix you up until you were seven and then at the age of seven you made your communion. Um, obviously, once you make a communion, you get very sexy then. <laughs> so they like to keep the kids separate then. <laughs> it's a look, you know. <laughs> it's a look. It's a little tiny bride. So, you know. <laughs> Next week, it's a special Siblings Jamboree for National Siblings Day. Jane Garvey is going to pop up to talk about sisterhood and Susie Dent from Dictionary Corner will be talking about family words and expressions. If you'd like to record and send a message or a memory, a sibling story or your family words or expressions, go to relativelypodcast.com where you'll also find some really sweet pictures of Eileen and Catherine. I'd really love to have you on the podcast next week and just think you could use it as an opportunity to get the last word in on a long-running sibling squabble, which they definitely started. There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside Another rain may fall Your father's calling you Still feel safe inside, only your ma's too proud. Your brother's ignoring you. You still feel safe inside. Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time, this didn't do enough for you. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 